thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Oh, praise God, Covenant Church. Let's give God a hand of praise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, church, to do this one thing. Let's stand to our feet and just give God praise. I know it's getting up, but last year we weren't here. And today we are celebrating Jesus, who is the resurrected King that has resurrected us. Come on, church. Amen. He is risen, amen. Oh, praise God. Well, church, you, you can take your seats. You can, you can take it. You guys are the service that slept in, had breakfast, and then now you're waiting on brunch. Um, I'm just expecting that this is going to be the most, the most energetic service. You guys actually got Rob's here. You got the He is Risen part. Praise God for that. I was like, geez, what happened over the last year? So praise God for that. Um, um, this is it. This is the moment, the, the pivotal moment in history, the most epic moment in, in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not a myth, not a, not a maybe, not, not maybe it happened or maybe it didn't. This is that moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we are in this room. This is at the center of our faith, the promise and the claim that God would send a son and after three days he would rise again and we would be raised to life with him. This is the good news that will never ever run out. Praise God. Praise God for that. And we are celebrating this. We are celebrating the empty tomb. We're celebrating this. And, and this morning, uh, I'm just so, so filled with joy because it is not circumstantial. Last year, the room was empty, but the tomb was empty. This year, the room has been full three times, and, and maybe you're watching at home, and you stood up, and you are praising God, and you can't be in person yet, but still, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus left that tomb empty, and we live in that freedom, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, and this is what it has given us. It has given us life beyond the circumstances of this world. We know that he has restored relationship with the Father, and we will have eternity with him, and that is what the cross purchased for us. I want to start by quoting Jesus himself, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Covenant Church, do you believe this? Jesus says, do you believe this? My name is Rob Chifukoyo. I am one of the pastors here at Covenant Church, and I'm, I'm just welcoming you to, to, to dive into this passage. If you have your Bibles and, and maybe you didn't quite hear the, 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 the verses in the video, but we're going to be going through John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, we find that there's an account of people who meet Jesus or attempt to meet the risen Christ. And as we look at this passage, there are just a few things that I want to go through in, the, in just a short time that the resurrected Christ is and what the resurrected Christ represents. 
you know, the first thing that we see is that at the centrality of our faith, there are three words, he rose again. That the first thing that we can say Jesus is, is Jesus is alive. We can't meet dead people. We can't meet with dead people. Jesus is alive, and that is why and how he meets with us now, today, in this time. He is alive. And everyone on resurrection morning, I love in this passage, I see that Mary Magdalene, early in the morning, while it was still dark, she went to the tomb, and her expectation was to take care of a dead body. She went to the tomb with an expectation to see Jesus lying there covered in cloth. But what she found was emptiness. And Jesus had, had risen. And so she runs. She runs and she tells the disciples. And in Luke's gospel, you find that it's a bunch of women that run back and they say, guys, the tomb is empty. And we find that the 11, I want you to hear this. The guys who hung out with Jesus every day for three years, who heard every word that he said, they looked at these women and said, nonsense, (laughs) nonsense. Jesus was saying this the whole time. In Mark chapter 8, 31, Jesus says, he says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. I imagine that there was a conference in heaven and the Trinity was meeting and they were like, okay, Jesus, make sure you tell these guys that three days. And Jesus like, yeah, absolutely, I'll tell them three days. And then Jesus, boom, psh, picks his disciples. He says, three days, three days, three days, I'll rise again. Three days, I'll rise again. And I, he must have sent a memo back to heaven and said, I think you need a station, two angels at the tomb because I don't think these guys understand what's gonna happen. The one place Jesus said he would not be is the one place these guys keep going to look. And so Mary, Mary runs and, 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 and then they run, Peter and John, and there's a lot of running happening here, maybe too much running for my liking. How many of you like running? Hands up. Okay, don't worry, you can keep your hands up. The CDC says it will not. It's okay to raise hands in, in public. So... The reality is that there are people, and as you raise your hands, I see you. I see the joy. Yeah, I am a runner. <laughs> right? And, and, and we were never going to do an altar call, but we're doing it at the end of the service because Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. But anyway, <laughs> the, the reality is I do not like running, and I do not see the point in running. It's such, it's such a hard thing to do. Like motivate yourself to run. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just getting fit. I'm like, there are other things. So, so the reality is that we understand this feeling of running and running and running. But in reality, what I, what I recognize in this passage is that we are all running. Our lives are fast-paced and we are running, and we're not just running, we're competing. We're competitively running. And so when I look at this passage of scripture, there is nothing more humanizing, nothing more relatable. Oftentimes the disciples and the apostles are so unrelatable. But when I look at verse three and four, there's nothing more relatable for me that I see in the disciples. Take a look at this, verse three and four. It says, Peter and the other disciple. Now, John is writing this. 
and John is the other disciple, trying to be humble. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I mean, there's nothing more Ricky Bobby in the Bible than that, right? If you're not first, you're last. You know, it's like he's talking about the resurrection and he goes, yo, I'm just gonna slip something in there for you, Peter, that I beat you in a race. Like he's talking about Jesus being resurrected. Can you imagine writing that? Like, should I, shouldn't I put it in there? Boom, boom, boom. I think, yes. And I relate to that because I'm like that. You're like that. You know, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, let's just say this. There was a March Madness bracket and everyone on staff was competing against each other. And I, Robert Chifukoyo, hypothetically, was coming first. I might take the opportunity on Resurrection Sunday to let the whole church know, hypothetically, that I am number one thanks to a three-pointer buzzer beater last night on the left. It's such a relatable thing for me. Because we let people know, we, we immerse, and sometimes, here's the thing, when we're talking about Jesus, we slip ourselves in there, right? It's so relatable. But what's also relatable is that we are running and racing to emptiness. Some of us are running. And as a pastor, one of the most devastating conversations that I have with people is people who have run, sacrificed relationship with family, sacrificed marriage, sacrificed their kids, all because they're running to something that they think will be fulfilling, that they think that there will be life, and they get to the end and there's emptiness. And all along the way as they were running, there are other people coming from that place saying there's nothing there. And that's the story of of our society and culture and world is that there are these billionaires that have gotten to the end of the line and said, there's nothing here. Guess what? We, We just started a group to give away all our money. There's nothing there. It's the story of fame and fortune where celebrities get so famous and they have all the, all the publicity and recognition and they go, there's nothing there. The, the famous Thespian James Eugene Carey, a.k.a. Jim Carey, has this quote. He says, I I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In my own life, the things that I've aspired to, but when I've knocked on the door of the person that I think has arrived at the place that I want to get to, they've gone, Rob, it is not worth the sacrifices you're making. The only thing worth running toward church is Jesus. That is the one thing that has been proven that when people have run there, they've gone and found life. Another thing we see in this passage is that the disciples, these two disciples we see in in Peter and John, that they're investigating for themselves. That there's room for their doubt. That there's room for investigation. As a, as a young adult pastor, and when I was a young adult pastor and hanging out with young people, there's this thing that's happening, and a, a lot of young people and older people too, where they're deconstructing faith. 
They grew up in the church. They were told, hey, from my Sunday school teacher told me this. My youth pastor told me this. But now I'm trying to figure it out for myself. And so I'm ripping it apart and trying to see for myself. And there's an investigation. And church, the church should be a place where people can come and investigate for themselves who the risen Christ is and see for themselves. Because we find here in this passage that when John and Peter, see the, the, the folded cloth and they see that there is no body there. What it leads them to is belief. That's why I, I don't stress myself out by trying to defend uh, the, the, when someone is in They'll investigate and what I am confident of is that if they truly investigate, they're going to land at Jesus is the truth. I watched this YouTube video just the other day of um, a famous author, Jordan Peterson, and he's talking about Jesus. He's crying, and he's saying, I've investigated, and I'm left with one option, and I'm afraid that the only option is to believe. I'm afraid. Done all the investigation, and when I got to the end, he's weeping, going, I don't know what to do with Jesus. I'm so confident that Jesus is powerful, strong enough, loves you enough that when you dig deeper and you go and see for yourself, you'll find that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That all other ground is sinking sand. That that is what you'll find. And so we find here another thing that happens is that he calls us by name. I love this as we carry on that Mary was standing outside the tomb and she was crying. And, and, and Mary's at the tomb and she's crying and Jesus meets her at a point of grief. Jesus meets her at a point of loss. Jesus meets her in her pain. And we watch these videos over the last eight weeks and we summarize them. But what you see is Jesus meeting people in their desperation. I don't know how many of you were met by Christ in your desperation. In your darkest moment, where everything you had put your trust in had failed, and that is the point where Jesus met you. He meets us in that place. He doesn't leave us there. And I find in this passage, one of the beautiful things about this is that Jesus, Mary's pain and loss makes, her, makes Jesus unrecognizable. She can't recognize Jesus because of her pain, because of her grief. But then Jesus does something amazing, something that Isaiah 43 uh, amplifies and says to us that we are called by name and we are his. That Jesus is Mary and she recognizes that it's Jesus. I, I know you know this, but, and pastors are notorious for this, that, that we, we oftentimes don't know people's names. We often forget. And so we make up some generic name, right? Hey, champ, depending on your age. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. What's, and that's the weirdest one. But it's, it's, it's like we've forgotten your name. But God knows our name. And when he calls your name, you will recognize that this is Jesus. I am no more 
special than you are if you do not know Jesus, if he hasn't called your name. But I trust as I prayed and as, and as we prayed for the service that there will be people who come to church who have never been called by name. But this morning, they will hear their name called out. They will hear Chad. They will hear Kristen. They will hear Kirsty. I'm, I'm just trying to think of Bucks County names. But they'll hear their name. And in that, they will be drawn to the shepherd, the good shepherd. He says that my sheep know my voice. And so there's, there's almost no need to labor except to labor in prayer. Because Jesus will call your name. He will call your name. And Mary then responds and says, Rabbi, meaning teacher. You know what? Mary is not just a follower of Jesus, but she's a disciple. She, this is her rabbi, her teacher. And back then, discipleship wasn't fickle. It wasn't small. In fact, I don't even know if discipleship exists anywhere else except in the church, that word being used. But really, discipleship was kind of just coming under the teaching of a teacher and saying, I'm going to follow you. They didn't kind of hang out with Jesus. They were with him 24-7. They were with him. And, they, and then they became like him. That was the goal. And then they were going to go and do what he did. And us together, if you follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Christ is to be with him. If this Christianity thing, you're like, I've tried it. It doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I want to ask you, are you doing those three things? Are you being with Jesus? Are you being transformed into being like him? And is the mission in your life, in your heart, is it to do what he did? Because that's the definition of that word, teacher. You know, church, if we, it's not earning, it's not working to earn his love, but it's working to train ourselves up in godliness so that we can become like Christ. It's very intentional. There's no transformation without the intention. I don't want to kid you. When I, when I came here seven years ago, I remember I, my first Easter, I came on, on Resurrection Sunday with a hoodie. I came with a hoodie. I was just like, I was like, I never got the memo that everyone was going to change and look cool. I didn't know there were going to be pictures after the service. The first picture, I'm just sad in this hoodie. I'm like, oh, it's like, what? And I didn't realize. And the church was, was big. I was like, there's so many people. Why do we have so many services? So many people come. And then I realized as I talked to people, I was like, well, some people just come to church Easter and Christmas. And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I think it's actually a pretty cool strategy if you have no point in transformation and you just want to be here on our best day. This is the day where everyone looks good. Next week, everyone's going to be looking raggedy. We fling donuts at you in the parking lots. It's like we had a huddle last week and we were like, don't you dare mess this up. You know, like when your parents know that someone's coming to visit and they're like, you better be on your best behavior. You take that fish sticker off your car if you're going to drive like a madman. And we like, we, and, and then we're ready to receive you. This is our best. This is us at our best. But next week is what Jesus is calling us to church. There's no transformation without immersing ourselves into the reality of following and 
coming under Jesus' teaching, and he directs us to this community. Church, I, I can declare it right now. Like, Easter is usually a good measuring point for our goals from January 1st. I had a goal, and my goal, and I can declare it's a really good goal. I, I was like, I was going to lose 20 pounds by Easter. And I can declare it to you this morning with all confidence that I have 27 to go. <laughs> I have all the keto diet books. I have them all. I even clicked and refreshed on Planet Fitness many times, checking when they'll open. And, and church, all of that does not lead to transformation. I can't. It doesn't. True transformation comes when I commit to going, to being, to being a part of. That's when I see transformation church. That's why there's so many people who've been sitting in church for decades and have not been transformed over 30 years. It's just knowledge, information, and no application. But when we apply this, oh my goodness, Jesus does something amazing. And the last thing, church, is this. Jesus came to make us new. He came to reconcile us to the Father. I love this. He says this to Mary. He says, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. She says, tell my disciples, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He came to bring us into this new family. He came to make us brand new. Brand new. It says he breathed, he, breathed, he breathed life into, into the disciples who were hidden behind a locked door. They were so afraid of the Jewish religious leaders that they were stuck behind a locked door. They were like, if they could do that to Jesus, what more could they do to us, his followers? And so they're hiding behind a locked door. And Jesus, he goes through that barrier because he's done with barriers. Because on the cross, he, he, the veil was torn. As Jesus says, it is, it is finished the veil was torn in two the barrier between the father and us was broken he was I he became our father and our God in that moment and church we know all about this 13 months have taught us all about viruses and barriers and maybe you don't know this but that there was another virus and that virus, it affects everyone. And that virus is called sin. And some people are asymptomatic. So right now, my message, it, it bounces off of your heart. You're a good guy. You're a good girl. You don't have the symptoms of sin. And they're not so apparent in your life. And therefore, you're like, no, I don't need Jesus. And some of us, the symptoms overran us, so we knew we needed a vaccine. In our desperation, we knew we needed a savior. But in the case of sin, there was no Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J. &J. There was one shot, and that was Jesus on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, all of us had access to that. And we became new. And so God is calling us to this. And I prayed this morning and I prayed last night and I prayed throughout and I was thinking about these words and I was like, I pray that God breathes new life into our lungs this morning, into our lives, that we would be brought back to life. At the end of this passage, as Jesus goes through this barrier, this locked door, I sometimes wonder 
these same guys who were hiding, how did they become so bold as to go to the nations with the gospel? And it is because Jesus, he suddenly appeared among them and he breathed the Holy Spirit into them. Just like in Genesis, when God took the dust and he breathed into it and there was life. That is the life that we're being called to. A life that is new. The cross, it is what, it, it is, it is what was purchased for you and I. And so this morning, I just pray for each and every one of us as we go about this day. I pray Jesus suddenly shows up in your life. I pray, I do, I, maybe it's not in a church, maybe he doesn't show up right in this moment, but I pray when you're in 7-Eleven, suddenly Jesus shows up. I pray that when you're at Starbucks, Jesus suddenly shows up. I pray when you're in your room and, and you've, you've thought that Jesus doesn't know your name, he suddenly shows up. And that that journey of transformation into who he's called you to be starts. Church, this is an amazing thing. Amazing news. And amazing hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are breathing new life into this place. We thank you, Lord, that on the cross, Lord, you dealt with all our guilt and shame. That death died on that day. And that when you rose again, Lord, you called us to that life, that new life. You ushered in this new kingdom, and we are a part of it, Lord. I pray this morning as we sing, Lord, that our hearts will be filled with joy, that we'll gaze upon your beauty, Jesus, and it will transform our hearts, Lord, that it will continue to transform us, Lord, and be the people that you've called us to be, Lord, not only just for our families and our lives, Lord, but to our community as well, that we would also be these people who are walking around with this message of reconciliation, this good news that will always be good. Equip us, Lord. Lead us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.